and the associated film Chariots of Fire, which won four Oscars in Best Film in 1981. It focused on the story of two athletes who competed in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. One of them, Eric Liddell, is a name that's held in high esteem in Scotland, for he was born of Scottish missionary parents in China, and here in the capital, in Edinburgh, he studied science and divinity. However, what most people know about Eric Little was the principal stand he took not to run in his selected event, the 100 metres, when he discovered that the heats were to be held on a Sunday. For him, it would be a clear breach of the fourth of the Ten Commandments, a breaking of the Sabbath. And so on the day when the final, which he was expected to win, was being run, he preached instead in the Church of Scotland in the Rue Bayard in Paris. However, although it was not his best event, he was then invited to run instead in the 400 metres, which were held on a weekday. At the start line of the race, the, line, uh, the, the, the film depicts his American opponent giving him a slip of paper on which were written words from 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, where the Lord says, Those who honour me, I will honour. Eric Little went on to win the gold medal in a world record time of 47.6 seconds. Nonetheless, while many enjoyed the film, admired the fact that Little was prepared to take a principal stand, whatever the cost, few chose to follow or adopt those same principles. I was looking at the website, the BBC review of the film concludes with these words. No athlete today would take little stance, and the film knew that even 20 years ago, so there is a poignancy to the principle, a nostalgic air that remains moving. Now, what is surprising today is that not only no athlete would take this stance, but almost a quarter of a century on now, very few Christians today would take the same stance that Eric Little did in respect of Sabbath observance. There has been a fundamental shift in how we observe the Lord's Day. Not just in this world, in society, but in the church and among Christians, which sadly so often follows along with a brief time lag. Now this sounds like nostalgia, but this has taken place in my own generation in the last 50 years. I was privileged to grow up in a Christian family in which, among many other things, we kept the Sabbath, or as we put it more accurately, we observed the Lord's Day. It was a day for fellowship, for worship with other Christians, a day that was different, markedly different from the other six days, and we knew it, and our non-Christian neighbours knew it as well. Now, maybe some of the ways in which we kept Sunday may have bordered on legalism. We were allowed to play in the back garden, but not out the front. Uh, we were not allowed to play our normal board games. We had a whole series of Bible board games, things like From Egypt to Canaan, which was a great game. And uh, we never spent money on Sundays, and we rarely, if ever, used public transport. But today, the pendulum has swung completely in the opposite direction, from legalism to license. So that Sunday is just a day where we 
behave much like any other day. The only distinctive feature about Sunday for most Christians is that we go to church increasingly only once. Eight years ago, we did a survey of Charlotte Chapel. We discovered that only 33% of those here morning and evening were what we used to call twice as came twice, morning and evening. Eight years later, it was 23%. So while most Christians may in some way argue for the enduring relevance of these Ten Commandments, the fourth is treated as an exception that no longer applies. Hence the title of David Searle's book on this, which is entitled, And Then There Were Nine. Now, this is a vast and vexed subject, and I approach it with apprehension, like a tightrope walker trying to steer a middle line between falling off either side of legalism or license. And also, I'm anxious not to cause a necessary offence to fellow Christians who may incline to one side or the other. However, I believe that it is a subject that we neglect to our peril and our harm, for it remains God's law. A law that Jesus came not to abolish, but to fulfill. That is to give it its full meaning. And so with that in mind, let's come to our subject this evening. And the title I've chosen is borrowed from another book on the Ten Commandments, which I want to recommend by one of our former assistants, Alistair Begg, which is entitled Pathway to Freedom. And his chapter on the Fourth Commandment is entitled Holy Day or Holiday? Question mark. And he writes, obviously now, having grown up in Scotland, he's now living in America from an American perspective, where, interestingly, church services now increasingly are offered on Saturday evenings. And he quotes from a book by a man called Bruce Ray, entitled Celebrating the Sabbath, Finding Rest in a Restless World. This is what this man says about the American church. By having church services on Saturday night, people can have the whole day on Sunday to go hiking, sailing, shopping, without being inconvenienced by having to attend church services. We can just fit God into our schedules like we do piano lessons and dental appointments. Then if something more interesting comes along, we can always reschedule. Max Sabbath is here. Worship services that are quick, easy, convenient and user-friendly. Little or no sacrifice is required. Now, as you well know, whenever America sneezes, we catch a cold and I expect that we will face similar challenges. So let's begin by looking at what God's Word actually says, which is what we should always do. This commandment given through Moses, Exodus 20. You may want to turn in your Bibles to page 78. Our time is going, but I hope you've come prepared to think hard for this evening. This is what it says, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the question is, reading that, did God intend the Sabbath to be a holiday or a holy day? And my answer to summarize, if you fall asleep for the next little while, uh, <coughs> is not either or, but both and. 
So let's look at both aspects, beginning with the fact that the Sabbath is a holiday, I want to say it's a holiday for our good. The Hebrew word, Shabbat, from which we get Sabbath, means, you're getting plenty of Hebrew on the screen this evening, means to desist, to cease, to make an end. In another excellent book on the Ten Commandments by a man called Norman Shields from Northern Ireland, called Pattern for Life, he comments as follows. The emphasis seems to be on breaking a routine and so making a division in time or bringing a series of activities or cycle of time to an end. Now, the key, the optimal number in this cycle is the number seven. So in the law of Israel, for example, land was to be left fallow and given a Sabbath every seven years. And every seven sevens of years, that is year 50, was a special year of jubilee that we sang about. A fresh beginning when debts were cancelled, slaves freed, and land reverted to its original owners. But the best known and most fundamental cycle was that of seven days of the week. The last or the seventh being the Sabbath. When the work of the previous six days ceased, you rested on the Sabbath day. Now we learn in this passage that this pattern derives right back to creation. It derives from divine practice. If you read the opening chapter of the book of Genesis, God created, did his creative work on the first six days. On the seventh day he rested. And in other words, this rhythm, this pattern of six days of work plus one day of rest is programmed, as it were, into those made in the image of God, that is, human beings. So it is what we should do. The Ten Commandments are often referred to as the maker's instructions. And the manual says, if you run human beings without a break, day after day, day after day, they will eventually break down. They need to stop, we need to stop and rest every seven days. Now, there have been gov governments in the past that have attempted to change this. Uh, I think it was in, in Russia that there was a, a ten-day week introduced at one time. It just didn't work. There have been other societies like Egypt, where the Israelites came from, where if you were a slave, you didn't get any days off. You worked so that other people could have all their days off. The goal is always to increase efficiency and profits, and the result is always the same, increased inefficiency, because human beings are programmed to need one day and seven off. It has been said that we owe the seven-day week, therefore, to Moses. It would be more accurate to say we owe the seven-day week to God, who gave it to us. The Sabbath is for our good, and we ignore it as our peril. got a great story on my preaching internet thing that they send me from America uh, every month or so, uh, a couple of weeks ago. story of two not very bright truckers who were driving down a road in America late at night. They come across this road, and there's a big bridge over the road that says clearance, 11 foot 3 inches. So they pull the truck up and stop, and they get out, and they measure their rig, and it's 12 foot 6 inches. So one of them says to the other one, what do you think we should do? And the driver looks around and says, not a cop in sight, let's chance it. <laughs> you think about that. 
how many times do we do the same with God's laws? Not least the Sabbath. And I speak of someone who works on the Sabbath, on this day. It's my busiest, one of my busiest days, among other ones. I need to take a Sabbath. If I don't, I suffer, and believe me, my family suffers. Just to tell you, unless it's an emergency, my Sabbath is tomorrow. And if we ignore the Sabbath, then the individual suffers. But not only that, society suffers. Very interesting. I was going to show it again, that wonderful a series of interviews we did uh, with, with uh, John Easton, our cameraman, and Colin, our assistant pastor, with people on Princess Street, asking them what they thought about the Ten Commandments. And when we came to the Sabbath, everybody said, oh, that's something for religious people. Yet when God gave the Sabbath, he said to the people of Israel, this is to be applied right across your society, even to the animals, give them a rest. And even to aliens who live among you, and slaves, Unlike other societies, this is a good thing for everybody. It's applied across the board. Uh, Harold Macmillan, the former Conservative Prime Minister, is reported to have described the Sabbath as the first and greatest worker protection act in history. Would that his successor, Margaret Thatcher, believe this? How significant that one of the major defeats of her government was trying to change the law regarding Sunday working. Yet despite the valiant and ongoing efforts of the Keep Sunday special campaign, successive legislation has undermined the place of a day of rest and our society is suffering as a result. And this despite the fact that the social chapter of the Maastricht uh, Treaty, devised by people in Europe who've lived with the continental Sunday for years, says there should be a 36-hour break from training over the weekend. Some people just never seem to learn. The desire for increased productivity and profit overrides everything, even the health of the workers. In his down-to-earth style, here's another book for you to read, which is very readable if you're a younger person and you're not into sort of more detailed theology. Get J. John's book called Ten, about the Ten Commandments. He writes, in this commandment, God is ordering us to take a break. And he also points out something in the fourth commandment that you can easily miss. Because it's implied. And that is the dignity and necessity of work. Although the fall made work difficult for human beings, it did not put work to an end. No, the commandment says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. If you are a literalist about the Bible, you may need to think about, is the five-day working week biblical? I won't go into that. Thank you. Uh, Whatever the case, God has given us the gift and responsibility of work, creative work like his, or stewardship work that he entrusted to Adam to look after the created order. So among the many painful effects of unemployment is one we easily miss. If you don't work, you can't have a Sabbath. J. John again puts it, doing nothing is the most tiresome job in the world because you can't stop and rest. So the Sabbath is given for our good. When Jesus was on earth, he pointed out, we've seen it in Mark's Gospel, I won't labor the point, you can get the tapes if you're interested, a couple of weeks ago. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is given for our good, and Jesus says, therefore, it's a day for doing good to people. And to drive home his point, is very significant, if you look at the miracles of healing that Jesus did, he deliberately chose again and again, on at least six occasions, to heal people on the Sabbath. 
Now his critics said, you could do it on any other day. There's that lame man, he's been lame for years. Just wait till, wait till the next day. Do it on a weekday. And Jesus said, no, no, this is what the Sabbath's about. Can't you see that? When the man came with a withered hand, we saw it the other week in Mark 3, he said, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? No wonder when they didn't answer it, he was filled with a mixture of anger and deep distress as he restored the useless man's hands to full use. As Alistair Begg puts it, Jesus was not cancelling the use of the Sabbath, he was correcting the use of the Sabbath. And as one who declared himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath, he had the perfect right to do so. Yes, the Sabbath is for our good and for doing good. But is it a holiday? Well, my dictionary defines a holiday as follows. Holiday, a period in which a break is taken from work or studies for rest. Is that all the Sabbath day is? In other words, God has given us this, so when we get to this one day of the week, we can do our own thing and do just what we like. No, it is more than that. What I want to say, secondly, is that the Sabbath is not only a holiday for our good, it is a holy day for our God. Uh, the English word holiday, you may know it's derived from Old English, it actually means holy day originally. And the fourth commandment emphasizes this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The word holy means distinctive, set apart, different. It describes first of all God who is holy, but it also describes anything that God has designated as set apart for his use. And God has said, I've set apart this one day for your good, but it's for my use. It is a gift to you that you give back to me. It is a day which belongs to the Lord. And while every day belongs to the Lord, our work, which occupies us most of the time, can become the centre of our lives because it occupies much of our waking time. So the Lord gives us this one day in every seven to remind us that work is not our God. A day which reminds us that we belong to the Lord. J. John again comments helpfully. The issue that this commandment addresses is a fundamental one. Who controls our time? By keeping God's day of rest, we proclaim to ourselves and to the world that God runs our lives. If he is Lord, he is Lord of our time. And he goes on to write, that is why there is a battle in this area. It is not simply a question of legislation or trading hours or about cultural practices. It is about the lordship of our lives and our culture. So keeping the fourth commandment is a God-given way of witnessing that we are different. That this day is set apart for God. That we belong to God. That's very significant. Uh, you probably know that there are two places where the Ten Commandments are recorded. Well, you may not know this. There are two places in the Old Testament that record the Ten Commandments. This one in Exodus 20, when it was first given by the Lord after the people of Israel left Egypt. It's only a few months into their journey. At the end of his life, 40 years later of wanderings, Moses is about to leave them. God is not going to let him go into the Promised Land. And he gives this fantastic farewell speech, which is the book of Deuteronomy. And in it, he reminds them of God's laws. And he adds some interesting information, the way he rewords it. You'll find it in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, first of all, he says, rather than the word remember the Sabbath day, he uses a different word, observe the Sabbath day, which stresses the need to take heed, rather than simply bring it to mind. 
And even more significantly, instead of reminding them that you keep the Sabbath because God rested on the Sabbath day, this is what he says at the end of it. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, now why does he say this here? Well, because the people of Israel are about to go over the border into Canaan, which is populated by all sorts of other people who don't know the Lord. And the danger is that the people of Israel conform to the way of behavior of these people. And so the Lord says to them, here's something distinctive to remember. When you keep the Sabbath day, it will be very different. Nobody else in this place is going to do it. It will mark you out as different. Now I know the Jews took it, took it to extremes and wouldn't even fight on the Sabbath day. And so all their enemies said, let's go and fight the Jews and let's do it on a Saturday. You know, okay, that, that was extreme, taking the law to extremes. Uh, looking back on the history of Israel, the Jewish rabbi said, it was not Israel that kept the Sabbath, so much as the Sabbath that kept Israel. Now, the crucial challenge for us as Christians now, come back to, you know, from way back in history, to us today, is that whatever you think about, whatever you do on, a, on this day, and we'll come in a moment to the change from Saturday to Sunday if you're waiting for that, but whatever you think about this, it's important that we don't lose this distinctive mark of what it means to belong to God. That in stressing as we can do that every day is holy to God, we end up with Sunday looking like every other day instead of every other day looking like Sunday. And while we should support campaigns like Keep Sunday Special by arguing that a day of rest is good for our society, the reality is that our society will not listen. We will not change the hearts and minds of people who have no con Christian convictions, whose Christian heritage is being undermined, a society whose God is money and profit and the acquisition of material things. So, what can you do, you say? Throw up your hands in horror. Go along with the crowd. No, it's a time to be even more distinctive. To recognize that we are called to be holy, different distinctive, and that one of our God-given distinctives is that we set apart this one day and say, this is the Lord's day, not my day. And that is the test for us. There's some lovely verse in the book of Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah 58. This is what he says. The Lord says to the people of Israel, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I'll cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. And when we do that, it's kind of a test. You see, you've got this day and you think, somebody says to you, just come away, don't bother, you don't need to go to church this Sunday, this is a great day out, just, just do what, you know, enjoy, you can, you, can, you can keep the Sabbath on Monday tomorrow, all right, or Wednesday. Now, I know what the temptation is. But you say, no, I'm going to make this a day of, that is set apart to God, for his use. And what he says is, when you do that, then you prove something, that it's a day of joy. One of the tests, however you keep the Lord's day, whatever way you do it, I want to ask you, is it a joy or is it a burden? We find joy in the Lord. And as we do this, as we come together like this, 
The Lord has given us this day because like he's given us the Lord's Supper, we forget so easily. We lose focus. We live in the world the rest of the week and we're part of the world. I'm not saying this is an escape. All I'm saying is this is a place where we get our perspectives back. We find in a renewal. That's why I chose that song. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed, renewed. You come to God and in his presence, with his people, you find renewal. And you go away with a different perspective. I wanted two people kindly spoke to me about this morning service. That was really helpful. That thing he said to me. It gave me a different perspective on my circumstances than I'm facing at this time. God's word does that when we come together. You're encouraged by it. A fresh perspective on our lives and our work, an inner renewal. The benefits of keeping the fourth commandment are joy in the Lord, inner renewal, a fresh perspective on our lives. Again, let me recommend J. John's book. He quotes a very interesting story that I hadn't heard before, but it's, it's worth repeating. You remember William Wilberforce, the Member of Parliament, who after decades of intensive and, and, and sacrificial and, and work that he was criticised for, uh, through him the slave trade was abolished. When Wilberforce was a young Member of Parliament... He had a glowing career ahead of him. He was an able politician. He was actually being tipped for cabinet office. But he was a confirmed and committed Christian. He never felt it was right to work on the Lord's Day. And after one particular Sunday of rest, he gained a fresh perspective on his ambition. He wrote in his diary this, These earthly things assume their true size. These earthly things, my ambitions, assume their true size. Later in life, he wrote sadly of some of his contemporaries who had broken under the pressure of politics. This is what he said. With peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from overtension. With peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from overtension. Now, this doesn't apply to us just as individuals. You need other people to celebrate the Lord's Day. That's why we're all here together as a group of people, large or small. We share this with God's people. Now, some people say, well, what's really important is you just keep one day. It doesn't matter what day it is, as long as you keep one day off a week. This is a bit like me going to the gym. You know, I will do it one day, but unless I go on a particular day, I find like I've done now, I've been three weeks without going at all. And poor old Bill Denner went all on his own on Tuesday. You know, I should have been there with him. Tuesday's gym day. You see, the day I choose, I might say, I'm going to celebrate my Sabbath on Wednesday. And you might say, well, I'm celebrating mine on Thursday. And somebody else says, no, no, Tuesday's a great day. Well, we never celebrate together. We need a fixed day. God has called us, not just as individuals, but as part of his church. We meet with other believers. You can't do it on its own. So you say, is it important which particular day we meet on? For the people of Israel, the Sabbath was the seventh day, the last day of the week, our Saturday. But few professing Christians, apart from the Seventh-day Adventists, whose name declares their main distinctive, keep Saturday as their day of rest. Instead, most Christians keep Sunday as the first day of the week, as their day of rest, their Sabbath. Why do we do that? Is it justified? Does it really matter? Now, the New Testament doesn't give us a very clear picture, if you look at it carefully. But it appears there is a transition taking place when you begin to read the uh, New Testament. Um, in fact, uh, many people have pointed out the last example in the Gospels or anywhere in the New Testament of Christians keeping the Sabbath, followers of Christ keeping the Sabbath, is on the day when Jesus died. I don't know if you knew that. Before Christ's death on the seventh day, the people of Israel. It says, after they laid Jesus in the tomb, they went home and prepared some spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath day in obedience to the commandment. Now, the next morning, everything changed. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. 
And so it's not surprising, therefore, that the seventh day, which marked an end, was replaced by the first day, which marked a beginning. After Christ's resurrection, the first day for the Church of Christ. And this was accelerated as the Gospel began to spread to Gentile areas rather than Jewish areas. So in Acts 27, we read that Luke records that on Paul's missionary journey, he came together with other Christians in the town of Troas. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. He writes to the Christians in Corinth about taking up an offering on the first day of the week when they come together. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. In the last book of the Bible, we read that the Apostle John received this great revelation. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Revelation 1.10. Now, what is significant? Well, whether it is significant, I don't know. But what is clear is, although Christians kept this day, they almost certainly had to work on it. Why? Because it wasn't a holiday anywhere else. In fact, we read from early records, the, the first Christians, I wonder if we do this, they had to work on Sundays, they got up before dawn to meet together, and at the end of the day, they came together after sunset, after they'd finished work, to praise Christ and to worship together. And that went on for three centuries, until the Emperor Constantine became a Christian and introduced Christianity into the Roman Empire, which is in many ways is a mixed blessing. Historians argue about this. But then he said, Sunday, interestingly a day that celebrates the sun, it will be the day of rest for the whole of the Roman Empire. And that, of course, became enshrined in Christian, inverted commas, civilizations like our own, where Sunday was strictly kept in many Western European countries. In other, Christians, in other societies, Christians have had to keep other days. If you live in a Muslim society, Friday is the day of rest. Christians have to decide, will we keep this day as it's the day of rest, or will we keep a different day? All of this suggests to me that it's not the day itself which is of primary importance, though Sunday is the best day, but the observance of one day in seven which is set apart as holy. Now, I'm almost at the end, but let me just conclude. What I'm being trying to say then is the Sabbath is both a holiday for our good, but a holy day for our God. And if you don't have any Christian commitment and treat it just as a holiday then you will suffer because you don't benefit from the intention that God made it to be a holiday, a holy day as well. There is an opposite danger for those of us who are Christians. In the church I grew up in, we had morning Sunday school at 10.15, 11 o'clock breaking of bread, 2.30 afternoon Sunday school, 6 o'clock prayer meeting before the evening service, 6.30 evening service, and after church we had the youth fellowship. And this was the day of rest. It can be a day of exhaustion. So then, how do we avoid that kind of thing? How should we keep Sunday? If you're hoping for my list of rules and regulations of what you can and can't do on a Sunday, you're going to be very disappointed because I've almost finished. Not because I just don't want to offend anyone, but rather because the New Testament, it seems to me, warns against judging other people by what you do on a particular day. Uh, the crucial passage is Romans 14. Again, we preached through this, uh, I think it was last year, the year before, and the Apostle Paul says, don't judge others. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, my purpose this evening is to try and get you to think and to be fully convinced in your own mind. I don't want you to go away from here saying, the pastor said it doesn't really matter, I can do what I like. What I'm saying to you is, 
You need to think this through. Be fully convinced in your own mind. So, let me ask you, what are you fully convinced about in this respect? Stop for a moment, evaluate and ask, how do you spend the Lord's Day? And what I want to leave with you is a challenge to put God to the test in this matter. In some specific way. And you'll prove, as Eric Little did, that those who honour me, I will honour. Let me just share a personal testimony. I say it not to boast in any way, but just a conviction that I had. Ever since I was younger, I determined that I would never as a student, and I've done a fair degree of studying in my time, I covenanted with the Lord that I would never ever study on the Lord's Day. Even if I got a big exam the next day. And the temptation is, I know you think, I've got an exam tomorrow, I must mug up, it's Sunday, I know it's on a Monday, so I've just got to do that. I simply felt if I honoured God in this way, God would honour me. Now you might argue he'd have got a better degree if he'd done it, but I don't think so. (laughs) Isn't that right? (laughs) All I'm saying is that the Lord, for me, honoured that. And I think in God's planning, having a day off to focus on him before an exam may be a far better thing than trying to mug up for the exam the day before. And I simply say, if you're a student, put God to the test. If you play sport, it may be an area that you want to think about and say, well, I'll put God to the test here. Because God will honour you. I'm not saying you impose this. I'm not saying if you're a student, you can't belong to Charlotte Chapel if you study on a Sunday. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, in what areas are you putting God to the test and proving that God says, those who honour me, I will honour. Too many of us have swung to the other end of the pendulum and for many of us, Sunday is just like any other day except that we come to church maybe once. What other ways are there that we can use Sunday on and put God to the test? Round the corner from here is a restaurant called, somewhat irreverently, TGI Friday. Some of you have been to it. It stands for, thank God it's Friday. Because the idea is at the end of a working week, you say, irreverently, thank God it's Friday, and you go and have a good meal. wonder about renaming Charlotte Chapel as TGI Sunday. No, I wouldn't get away with this, I know, but... (laughs) But to say after a day of work, a week of work, and it's the beginning of a new week today, and you get up on Sunday morning and you say, thank God it's Sunday. It's great. And the I have shared the joy of meeting with other Christians. It's a day when I can celebrate with other Christians, sing God's praise, hear God's word, just enjoy that God has set this day apart. It's not a burden that you say, oh, it's Sunday, I've got to go to church. Oh, thank God it's Sunday. That God has given us this day. And when people see that, they'll say, what do you mean you really enjoy that? And you say, enjoy it, it's the best possible beginning of a week, why don't you come and join me? And they will see distinctive lives of the way that we live. And they'll be attracted to God and to Christ. And want to follow his law. And write it in their hearts. That's my prayer for you and for me. Let's pray together.